when you first got to the varsity football team at Kings, was there a first person that busted your butt and kind of welcomed you to varsity football? Uh, no, there, there actually wasn't. Um, I just remember, um, you know, getting in my first varsity game as a freshman and thinking that uh, everyone's a lot faster and stronger and uh, it wasn't going to be as easy as uh, eighth grade football. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the wake up moment. We actually played a really good team. The, the, one of the first times I got in uh, Meridian High School up north and they were a bigger school and they were state contenders uh, around that era. And uh, yeah, they kind of kicked my butt. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 23, so we are rocking and rolling, moving along We're doing our virtual summer road trip here, all up to beautiful uh, Washington State I am joined by the star of the ESPN E60 documentary called The Letterman This was released in 2015 that followed his team at Helen Bernstein High School right there in L.A., right there in the shadows of the iconic Hollywood sign. He has since moved back up to the Pacific Northwest, and he is now the head football coach at Lincoln High School in Tacoma, Washington. Please welcome Masaki Matsumoto to the show. Thanks for having me, Coach. All right. Yes, sir. And if you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure take the 10 seconds. Give us that five star rating. That helps us so much as people search for sports podcasts. Our name will start showing up and they can hear great stories like coach's story. If you want to leave a review, I read new ones out uh, here on the show. So uh, re uh, leave one there and I'll read it out. Hit the follow button and then you'll subscribe to the show. You'll get a new team player podcast in your queue every Sunday at 2 p.m. That's what I do. I have all my favorite podcasts I'm subscribed to. So I get them as soon as they come out. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my name is James Kovaleski. I'm your host, and you can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach, let's dive into it. I've been really excited about this episode for a long time. I've known, I've known of you for a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm half Japanese, as many of the listeners may know. My mom was born in, in Nagano, where they had the Winter Olympics uh, uh, many uh, back in the 90s. And um, I, I came across this documentary, actually. Th this is how, how I, I knew of you, and I said, Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Cause you know, we, we don't see many Japanese coaches becoming head coaches here in the States. And so for me, as someone moving up as an assistant coach here in Texas, it was really inspiring to be able to see that. So I just, I'm so curious to learn more about you, coach. You, you actually were born and grew up in Japan. So can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah. You know, um, I, so I was born in, uh, I was born right outside of Tokyo, grew up in Fujisawa, which mm. is a couple hours south of Tokyo. And, mm. um, I, you know, I, I, I vaguely remember some stuff, but I, um, I yeah, moved, my mom uh, had a bad divorce um, mm. when I was little. And then, you know, she got an opportunity to move to Seattle and, you know, she had uh, studied abroad when she was in college um, 
in Buffalo, New York. And, and so she knew she was familiar with America and she knew some English. And so, you know, she said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to start a new life. And she walked into the living room where my brother and I were watching TV. Yeah. And he she said, you know, I'm going to move and you can either go with me or stay with dad. And my brother who was older, uh, stayed with dad. Um, yeah. and I decided to come with my mom and, um, we've been here since, uh, I think 1992. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a quite a journey. And that, that that's, I think that's so cool. And that's, um, another reason why I started this podcast, you know, my, I always share with the listeners coach, you know, I came from a two parent home, but I, I did witness domestic abuse. You know, my, my dad was abusive uh, to my mom in the home. And so I always tell the story that I'd be up late at night, hearing them screaming and fighting downstairs and just hoping like, Lord, please let me fall asleep so that I can just get to school in the morning. And I'd speed over to school to where I met my coaches who made me feel like I was just on top of the world. And I, you know, they loved me so much. It made me, when I was looking for a, a male role model, they did that. I know from your documentary, you fit that description. I mean, you're doing that for your kids. And a lot of them are in a vulnerable situation, at least at Bernstein, you know, in the documentary. So can you speak a little bit about how um, the importance of a coach for kids that may be struggling with things in their home life? Yeah. I mean, really that's the, one of the main reasons I became a coach because yeah. I didn't have a dad. Obviously yeah. my mom yeah. and I came here and my dad stayed in uh, Japan and, you know, we had little, probably little contact. Um, right. And uh, my coach, my coaches became my father figure, you know, uh, yeah. my high school coach, football coach, track coach. And then uh, the one that had really, you know, influenced me is uh, my college head coach. And um, yeah, I, and I try to really do the same thing. You know, we say, we always say we use football as a vehicle to help young yes. men. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I take that responsibility very very serious you know and i always tell the kids um and and people that you know if we just taught them how to play football then we we failed at our job especially um sure. the, the schools that i work with helen bernstein uh which sure. is in the city of la and now up in inner city of tacoma at lincoln um you know i think the kids need it more than ever Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> while I have you here, a couple questions ab about Japan. I mean, I I'm just, I'm very proud, half Japanese. And so I, I follow a lot of things in Japan. So I'm just curious if you have these same memories I do. I remember growing up and watching the World League of American Football. So kind of before they changed the, the name to NFL Europe. And yep. there were several Japanese players that I was just so hmm. enamored with. Uh, there was Noriaki Kinoshita, who was a punt returner. He actually ran back a punt for the Falcons. And as well as Masfumi Kawaguchi was a linebacker for the Amsterdam Admirals. They were on the same team together. And Nachiabe was a tight end that I remember for the Scottish Claymores. And I just always remember them growing up and they was like, wow, like these Japanese players are playing at this high level. Like I can do it too, you know? And so I'm just curious, did you, do you have those same memories I did? Did those names ring a bell? No. Uh, okay. I, 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 yeah, I actually, so I never, I, I didn't even know about football until I got okay. to America. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of a funny story. But um, and then I do remember the uh, watching the World World League when I got to America because I started really liking football. And uh, but I don't re remember those Japanese players. Cool. No, no. Just, just taking a stab in the dark. But that, I just thought that was so cool uh, that they were doing that. And then I guess so. Uh, you, uh, the, my second question, you may not follow this as well, but do you follow the X League at all? The, the pro football league in J back in Japan? I don't No. Okay. Just something you might want to check out. Like, again, I, I'm on, I can't like watch games, but I do follow a little bit online and 
it's kind of cool. It's just okay. kind of really cool to follow a professional league back there in Japan. So just yeah. uh, something to consider there. So once you came back here to America, now you really start getting into football. You went to King's High School, kind of in the Seattle area there, and you were coached by Jim Shapiro, and he's still there. And I just think that's just so incredible. We know how coaches is. Sometimes it can be a short shelf life at stop to stop. And so can you just describe Coach Shapiro and what he was like? Because he must be a really good coach to have that kind of staying power. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think earlier, um, he his first head coaching uh, job was Kings. And his first year was my freshman year. So yeah. I had, I, you know, I started with him basically. And yeah, he's still there. And I think he's, you know, early 50s now but he he always I always ask him how he looks so young all the time because it looks like he never ages but yeah yeah he's been there and he's done a great job and you know he's he's one of the first ones that really showed me that you can coach life through football and that you can you know care about kids not just as yeah. players but as, as people and and uh, I'm a man of faith and um yeah. and he you know he and it was a Christian high school and so yeah. You know, he also brought that component, you know, and whenever we get together, we still pray together, you know, after meal or before meal. And yeah, he's been a huge influence. And uh, it's it was great to reconnect with them. And the, now, you know, as a um, fellow coaches now, you know, mm -hmm. when I moved back to Washington in 2015. And then, you know, you, you kind of described him a little bit in your, your, your high school career. You said at first you were, you were football and track and you said reluctantly, but you ended up loving it. So I'm, you're, I was the same way. My coaches made me go throw the shot, putting the discus in the offseason. I mm -hmm. didn't want to do it at first. But I loved it. So what was your experience? I guess they put you out on the hurdles or what, 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 what was it that was so reluctant? <laughs> no, I, was, I wasn't athletic enough to do the hurdles, but oh. <laughs> uh, no. So my freshman, sophomore year, you know, I got really into weightlifting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I pretty much did that in the off season and my, my coaches, or uh, I had a, I had a um, assistant football coach who was, you know, who coached track and he would always, um, you know, hassle me about, Hey, why don't you do track? And I was just, you know, a typical kid. No, I do my own thing. You know, I, just, yeah. you know, I, I know what I'm doing. And then <laughs> junior year, they just convinced me, Hey, why don't you just at least come to practice and just right. run with that? You don't have to compete, you know? And, and so I was like, all right, I'll do that. And then, you know, they kind of suckered me into that. And then they, they kind of said, um, well, how do you know you're getting faster if you don't time yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And the only way you know that, uh, the only way you get timed is in meets. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'll do the one and the two, you know? Yeah. I was like, please don't ever put me in the four. And they never did. <laughs> but uh, So I ran the one and two and then just really started enjoying the process of imp trying to improve your time every meet, you know, sure. whether you lose or win, uh, you know, just improving. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, make the four by one team and senior year meet it. We made a, a, a strong run at state and yeah. yeah, I ended up enjoying it. And then at cathedral Catholic, when I became a, a football coach there, um, I also became an assistant track coach. Cause they said, Hey, you, I know you ran track. You want to help us out. And then just started loving coaching track. And then at Bernstein, I became a head track coach too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just kind of crazy. Reluctantly joined. And then I ended up loving it. That's awesome. The last thing when you were describing Coach Shapiro, you said that he was a big uh, frosty Western guy. And I, again, I'm from Texas. so I, I had to kind of look this up. So I, I did educate myself, but at, at Pacific Lutheran, yeah. several titles, I believe four overall titles kind of split, you know, between some NAIA and then moving into D3. But can you just describe because a lot of our show listeners are Texans. And so can you describe more about that dynasty out there at Pacific Lutheran uh, with Coach Westering? 
Yeah, I believe, you know, in the 90s, they were pretty dominant. And uh, yeah, and we would, um, we would go to, uh, when I was in high school, we would go to their uh, football camp and yeah. Frosty would, you know, have a Frosty session and yeah. <laughs> all the campers would, you know, fill the auditorium and he would speak and yeah. he was just, again, just teaching life lessons, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and it's, and, you know, taught, taught me a lot about just competing against yourself instead of against others, you know, measuring yourself against your best self, uh, not worrying about the scoreboard, um, just all those things that Coach Shapiro really drilled into us, you know, um, the, the, the win, winning, become you know being the byproduct of hard work and being a great teammate all that stuff i learned from frosty and then well frosty taught coach shapiro and then handed it down to us and a lot of the stuff that a lot of those concepts we still preach to our kids so obviously you you were in a you were in a coaching tree of really civically minded coaches i could tell it was wasn't just about x's and o's you know and and winning games i mean they really cared about developing you as a person so i imagine you really loved playing football in high school when you got to the college was it something to where you knew you wanted to keep playing football or were you still kind of undecided? And my second question is you ended up going all the way to the Midwest, which is that's a far trip from a guy from the Pacific coast to go to, go to the frosty Midwest. So how, you know, did you know you wanted to keep playing football? And then secondly, how did you settle on going all the way to Chicago for Trinity university to keep playing? Yeah. So I, I knew I wanted to continue to play uh, college football. Yeah. I knew I wasn't good enough for the pros. Sure, and, sure. Uh, you know, but I, I did want to keep playing. And I was, like I said, I was, I was pretty realistic with myself. You know, I, I had a chance to like walk on at uh, University of Montana mm-hmm. um, and then go to, you know, like a little bit bigger school. But I was like, do I want to sit on the bench for four years and then maybe right. play special teams or do I want to contribute right away? So when Trinity came into the picture, which is NAI, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, number one, I have a good, good chance to play. And then Coach Lambert, who came out and recruited me, um, he actually got mentored by someone uh, who played or coached under uh, Coach uh, Frost, uh, uh, Frosty. And yeah. uh, his name was Scott, uh, Scotty Kessler. And he mentored Coach Lambert. And so Coach Lambert really had the same philosophy as Coach Shapiro. And yeah. I went on my recruiting trip. Uh, the guys were great. Yeah. Um, you know, they treated me well. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, I think I have a chance to maybe play early here and contribute. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, was, it was a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, I had a, had, a, had a great experience. Now, did you, did you drive that every time or did you fly? Or what was kind of your... your yeah, so uh... I drove the... Or I, I flew the first couple of years and then... Uh, and then I drove my like junior year yeah. and then in the summer, I just kept my car in Indiana, uh, at my friend's house. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. And then, and then after college, uh, I, I drove out to grad, uh, grad school. And I got to ask you, I mean, I, I know it gets cold in Seattle. It gets cold, but it's, it's different kind of cold. I mean, I'm sure you would describe. So what, what was it like going to a Midwest winter the yeah. first time? So, so it's the wind that yes. really kills you. Yes. And I just remember, walk into the cafeteria it was like a you know eight minute walk uh-huh. and the wind just goes right through your clothes and it's yeah, just like yeah. you're not wearing anything and it was <laughs> yeah it was tough uh you know my first ho- uh snow game was there yeah it was fun you know um but yeah it was it, it was cool to experience though and you know coach Matsumoto one thing that I always ask my guests and it, I find it kind of interesting I've been keeping stats on this I have some of the best coaches all across the country it's not just Texans I mean I've um Kevin Swift from Oregon has been on the show. You from Washington. We've had guests from all over the country. And only 30% of them, only 30% of my illustrious guests 
knew when they entered college that they are, they knew they wanted to be a coach. So that means 70% of my guests are, they were, they thought they were going to do something else as a career yeah. and then they moved to coaching. And so I'm curious with you, did you yeah. know when you went, when you stepped foot on Trinity, you wanted to coach or, or were you thinking about doing something else? Yeah, that's weird. I, so I, in high school, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. So because of the influence I had at Kings, the educators yes. and the coaches, I was like, you know what? Um, I think I can, that, I think that's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. But I did not know I was going to coach, which is weird because yeah, I really yeah. love football, you know, I, maybe it would be the other way around, but I wanted right. to be a teacher, but wasn't sure about coaching. And then it's when I got to grad school in San Diego, um, I was attending a church and my friend, she was the athletic trainer at Cathedral Catholic, and she approached me uh, on, uh, after a service and said, hey, I know you played college ball. Our school's looking for, you know, some help on the JV team. Would you mm -hmm. like to help? And I was like, you know what? My classes are at night because it's grad school. Uh, I had a part-time job, but I, I, you know, the schedule worked. And so I was like, sure. So I started coaching uh, JV linebacker and running back, and the rest is history. He fell in love with it. That's cool. So, but you've really kind of crisscrossed across the country. You were in the Pacific Northwest, the Midwest, and now you go to sunny San Diego. So just describe what brought you out there from Chicago. I know the grad school, but a little bit like, how did you choose that particular school? Yeah, you know what? Uh, just again, everything just kind of works out, um, you know, um, but the I, I, I grew close to a teacher uh, or a professor at Trinity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a great guy. He mentored me and um, kind of took care of me, took me under his wings. And then he actually, my junior year, left to go to Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego okay. to go teach there. And when I was about to graduate and he knew I was looking for grad school, he said, hey, why don't you come here? Uh, you can live, you know, in I have a spare bedroom. You can pay me cheap rent and, you know, get your education here at Point Loma. And that's what I did. And it, it, it worked, it worked beautifully. That's awesome. And then one, you, you said you started at Cathedral Catholic kind of helping out as, on the JV, but did, did you eventually become the head coach there or were you an assistant? No, no, no. Yeah. The head coach is still there. He's Oh, he's really? Okay. There. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no. So I, I did JV for a year. That was 2006, my first year coaching ever. And then 2007, they moved me up to varsity because they needed a linebacker coach. And then um, after that, I left to Bernstein because I got my master's at that point and I needed a full-time teaching job. Yeah. And um, there, wasn't, there wasn't anything in San Diego. So I applied in LA and uh, Bernstein uh, had an opening for a special ed position. And that's, where, that's when I moved up there and stayed there for about seven years. And then while you were in the San Diego area, that, that's kind of when you, had, you were able to coach uh, Tyler Daphne you know, who was a standout, just a, a, a true standout, a Stanford football and baseball. He was a six round pick for the Panthers. Yep. I, I read, maybe you can verify this. I read on Wikipedia, 99 touchdowns at Cathedral uh, Catholic. Incredible. What, what was that like coaching a young man like that? I mean, it was, it was amazing. You know, that was, uh, I, and really that was my first couple of years of coaching. And I was like, man, this is, this is, this is great. And uh, you know, great kid. Um, yeah just no one could tackle him. Uh, they ran the wing tee and he was the fullback and, mm -hmm. you know, he got the ball every time. And I coached on the defensive side, but it was, it was a, it was a pleasure, you know, being able to work with him and, and, and see him in person. And then also while you were in San Diego, when you're playing against Scripps Ranch High School, you came across a uh, Brennan Clay in Oklahoma, yeah, OU running good. back. So yeah. you're, you obviously coached directly again, trying to stop him. So what was that experience like to, 
to go against someone at that, that level. Yeah, we had a good team and we were able to come out on top, but uh, he, he, he was tough and we knew he, he was going to go somewhere big. And, you know, I, you never know about the pros, but, you know, yeah, uh, yeah he, he made it to the Cowboys and uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was fun. Very cool. So then you, you mentioned after this, you moved, uh, you needed a full-time position. So you move uh, right up the coast to LA and you're at Bernstein High School. This is where a lot of us across the country got to know your name. I mean, it, this was a beautifully done documentary. Unfortunately, like I saw it years ago in 2015 when it was first released, but now I guess they've kind of scrubbed it. I know that they're trying to get everyone to subscribe to ESPN plus and streaming and stuff. So you cannot access this. I tried everywhere. I tried everywhere, coach. I even got, I even signed up for ESPN plus and I could not find it in the library. Maybe it's too old or whatever, but so for fans listening, if you can figure out how to find it, please email me teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com because I'm still trying to find this so I can rewatch it, but beautifully done. The scene that they that I still can find clips of is a scene where you had your kids, uh, you, you talked to the parents and you had the parents write their kids a handwritten note. And it's just an incredibly moving scene that brought me to tears watching these kids read the notes from their parents. And it, it reminds me when I was at Ridgepoint High School under Brett Sniffen, uh, episode 14, he's a team player podcast alum. We used to do a thing called the senior breakfast. And so seniors would go into our home economics, like kitchen area, and they would make pancakes for their parents who would come in. And so the parents would come in and then they would read a letter that they had written aloud to their child. So very similar to what you were doing. Yeah. And it was a total tear fest. Everyone was in tears by the end of that day. So I'm sure yours was the same situation. So can you describe what gave you the idea to go the, the letter and the handwritten aspect? And I saw you, you wrote handwritten letters as well to the parents. And so what it's to me, it's so special to have the handwritten note. So how did you get that idea? And then what was it like once you instituted that idea? Yeah. So when I first became a head coach in 2012, uh, that was my first year, I made a commitment to myself that I would go visit at least three successful coaches in the off season every year. And um, Tom Boehner, who's at Bothell High School, North Seattle, who is still a a very close mentor to me. um, He was the first coach I visited. And, um, you know, I was in LA, but I always went home for Christmas um, to visit my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I emailed him prior to my visit to Seattle and said, Hey, would I be able to come, you know, pick your brain? And he sat with me for, I think the first time, like four or five hours. And just, I just, you know, asked him a bunch of questions. And that was one of the things that he did with his team, you know, a little different, um, yeah. you know, but uh, I said in my head on my drive home from meeting him, I said, well, he's at a pretty affluent school and it's pretty powerful there. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I did it at a school like ours where mm-hmm. the parents probably, you know, barely speak to the, their kids because they're working all the sure. time. Sure. Yep. You know, and they're so busy and there's, you know, chaos at home and whatever. And so I said, you know what, this is something I got to do. And, um, you know, I got that idea in December and I, you know, we, we did it in July. And is that something that you, have you continued that throughout the your rest of your career? Or is it just, was that just one special moment in time that, that you tried to, that you Yeah, did? you know, it's, uh, people ask me that all the time and it's, it's something I just did one time, you know, yeah. I know that there's programs who do it every year. Right. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just want it to be authentic, you know, and yeah. I don't want it to be a something where it's every, every year and it's expected sure, and sure, no surprise. Sure. And, and so, yeah, I just haven't done it here, um, but maybe I will. 
Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah, you'll, you'll know if the time is right, if that's necessary to help the kids. So yeah, I definitely understand that. Yes, now, as far as getting ESPN involved, was how did how did that transpire? Did they call yeah. you or did how, I'm just yeah. so curious how that all transpired? Yeah, so uh, there's a gentleman named uh, Eric Sonheimer. Um, he he does the high school sports section for LA Times, mm-hmm. and I once I took over, right? So the the before I was became the head coach, I was an assistant at Bernstein, and okay. um, since the school opened in 2008, we went four and thirty six. Wow. And yeah. they let the coach go. And mm-hmm. first year I took over, we were, we were fortunate to go eight and three. Wow. And that was a quick turnaround. Yeah. And so Eric Sonheimer got a, you know, kind of followed up on that. And he called me out of the blues one time and he said, Hey, like, w- w- you know, how'd you turn it around so fast? And, you know, he was probably expecting me to say like, Oh, we run this great scheme or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I just said, uh, we just, you know, we were, we're making it fun and we're, you know, le- getting the kids to care about each other, you know, right, and, right. and he said, well, what's an example of, you, you know, uh, what's, when, what's an example of something you guys do for that? And I told him about the letter situation and because we had just pretty much done it like a yeah. month prior and he just, he was kind of blown away by that idea and he wrote a story and it was the front time it was a uh, front page of la times yeah and then like a year later um espn got a hold of that article i'm assuming and then they called me and said hey we want to follow you for a season so that's interesting so the timeline is when they came to film the letters had been over a year in the past so that you you, they kind of recreated brought those kids yeah so that was all recreated exactly yeah Yeah. And, and you know to be honest with you there were some kids were like Oh, I, I don't I don't know where my letter is anymore, coach. But <laughs> there were a handful of guys who still had it, and yeah. Um, yeah, and so they they asked them to bring it and read it, and you know that's how the story was created on ESPN. This is awesome, and you know for for a lot of the coaches listening, just one thing that stood out to me from a coach Matsumoto shared is that goal of visiting three head coaches, three excellent head coaches in the off season. I just think that's so cool because sometimes you know we can get into our lane and just focus on what we're doing, but you you had that growth mindset. And yeah. you went out, you struck out and you still do like now we can do it virtually on Twitter and, you know, zoom calls, but I, I watch you on Twitter. You're very active. So can you, can you talk about, um, you know, a good friend of mine, Chris Fisher, Chris Fisher is a guy that I coached with and he was Texas high school football chat. I know that you you've kind of communicated with him at times. Both of you guys are so active on Twitter. So can you describe like how much you're able to learn by being involved in Twitter and, and meet, meeting great coaches across the, the United States? Yeah. Um, yeah. Twitter has been a great tool. You know, um, obviously there's the X's and O stuff like coach Bass. He does a great yeah. job of putting out defensive stuff and coach Dan Casey, offensive stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, the, the guys I really do like to follow are like head coaches, you know, guys yeah. who are doing it, doing the things that I'm trying to do. And, um, you know, a good example is, uh, you know, a couple months ago, I went to go visit uh, uh, Coach Mons at Saguaro in Arizona. And wow. that's all because of Twitter. You know, we yeah. started connecting and we actually did a, um, a chalk war. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to go against him a couple of times. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, so we became kind of close through that. And then I just said, hey, can I come visit you? And I spent a whole day with him, watched, you know, watched him work with the kids and sat down and picked his brain. And, and so, yeah, the, and I've been able to do that with a few coaches that I've met on just Twitter. 
and and been able to visit and so that's that's been great chris Ford's is another one mm -hmm. you know i i met up with him in san diego and that was all through twitter so twitter it has been great just in terms of learning x's and o's through twitter but also just connecting with coaches and being able to meet them in person because of twitter you know last question i have about the espn piece yep. of it what was it like having the production crew and the cameras following you because i mean we all know how, how how hectic and busy it is gets during the season you know what was that like was it difficult or was it something where they were able to just kind of blend in and even, after a while i didn't even realize them yeah they, they were they were great yeah they awesome. you know they did their thing without intruding too much uh I, there was one time though uh it was a first round playoff game and we had a crappy first half mm -hmm. and i knew I was going to rip into them in the locker room. And I told the camera guys, say, can you stay out? Yeah. And, yeah. and they did. But then after the game, um, they said, Hey, you know, if we were going to do this, right. I need to, I, we need to see everything. And so I was yeah. like, okay, I respect that. So yeah. yeah, but everything was great. And how much time were they there? I'm that's one thing I'm curious about. What, what length of time were, were they? Pretty much the whole season. Yeah. One entire season. Yeah. Oh. First game, first game against Cesar Chavez until we lost in the semis uh, versus Monroe. And is it something where they were there like every single day at every not practice every or they kind day. of, you know, no, not every single day, but I mean, at least a couple times a week. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry. I'm just so fascinated by this. So sorry to keep asking you a question. No, but you're good. Did you like, were, were you communicating with like the executive producer or like how much, or were they like, coach, you don't have to talk to us. Just do your thing. We'll, we'll be in the background. Or were they like talking to you and like picking your brain or how did that, how did that work? The communication? Yeah. So I think it was like, um, you know, Mike Farrell was the producer and he was out there and him and I would kind of just talk and say, Hey, you know, this week we need this or, Hey, uh, I'm gonna come, uh, you know, we're gonna be there today's practice and we, we're trying to just get these footages and, you know, hey, can you have the weight room ready for interviews? So, yeah, they would just, I would just kind of go through him or he would go through me and then, um, and then they would just come and do their thing. That's so cool. Again, any listeners, we're, we're having trouble locating this now. So please, if you can find it, hit me up on Twitter, coach underscore Kovo, K O V O, or teamplayerpodcastgmail.com because I, I would love to rewatch this. For sure. Now, you, after after your initial stint at Bernstein, you said you went to Monroe High School and then made a return trip to Bernstein. So what what was kind of the impetus behind those moves? OK, so as I mentioned, right, um, I was under a coach for four years mm -hmm. um, and. After the fourth year, I just said, hey, uh, you know, I think I'm ready for a bigger role, um, not not to throw him under the bus or anything like that but he 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 he, he liked to control everything right sure, yeah. And, I, yeah. and and i would do everything he asked me to do but i just felt like i wasn't really growing in my right, role sure. and of course first couple of years i'm gonna do whatever and you know i know my place i'm not gonna you know try to skip the process but for year four i was like i think i'm ready to you know at least run the defense especially because I was doing a lot of the work in terms of game planning and, you right. know, getting things ready, but I still wasn't really calling the plays or, you know, re really technically wasn't the DC and I felt like I was ready. And so I just, you know, um, I <clears throat> looked around and Monroe had a DC position open and, you know, I kind of lived right by Monroe at that time. And yeah, I applied and, and I got the job and I was the DC there for a year, learned a lot, you know, learned, made a lot of mistakes as my, as in my first year as DC. And then um, after that season, uh, the principal at Bernstein approached me and said, Hey, we're going to let our, let the coach go. 
um, you you know, because I was still teaching at Bernstein and oh, coaching. Okay. And, Very, yes, and, yeah, and yeah. coaching at Monroe. And so um, I was, and she, and the principal said, hey, you know, uh, you have a great relationship with the kids already. Mm-hmm. You, I love what you're doing with the track program. Um, you know, do you want to take it over? And I, uh, yeah, and I, I asked her to give me the weekend because sure. I didn't know if I was ready. I was 28 at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we were bad, right? Four and 36, sure. Sure. Like four years. I just, you know, and so over the weekend, I emailed the head coach at Cathedral Catholic, who, mm-hmm. again, another mentor and um, Sean Doyle. And I asked him, coach, we're, we're, we're terrible. I'm young. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've only been a DC for a year. Like, do you think I can, I should do this? And he said to me, um, back in the email, he said, Hey, you know, Masaki, I've never coached in the inner city. Mm-hmm. I've always been at a private school, but what I do know is that whether you're at a private school or a public school, kids just want to be loved. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I was like, I love these kids at Bernstein, you know, yeah, uh, I was yeah. still a teacher there. I, you know, I still had a great relationship with all the football players. I still was the head coach at, of, of a track team and, I said, I, you know, I may not know everything and right. I'm going to screw a lot of things up, but I, I know I'm going to work hard because I do care about these kids. And so on Monday, I accepted the job and um, yeah, I was there for three years as a head coach, head football coach. You know, and I have a, we have a lot of coaches that listen to the podcast and I can tell, I can just tell by talking to you that you, you value loyalty. You just, I could see the pain on your face when you're like, you know, I, I didn't really want to leave, but I wasn't growing. Like I could tell you, you still felt loyalty it was hard for you to make that decision to go to Monroe. For sure. uh, Sergio Gonzalez is one of our team player alums. And on his episode, he talked about how sometimes in the coaching profession, when you do move, if you make a couple moves, other coaches may start labeling you as disloyal. Sergio was able to, but when he made his stops, they were really calculated because he was going to programs where he wanted to learn something from that coach. And now he's been able to become a head coach. So I guess my question is advice for young coaches in terms of, when you, you described, you knew you weren't growing anymore, but can you give a little bit more detail for a young coach? When is it a good time to move? And then part two, is there a time when it's too much moving? Do you feel like you should, you should stay for a certain amount of time or not move X number of, you know what I mean? Like what advice would you give to to young coach when they're, when they're wrestling with the same decision you did, should I stay or should I explore a new opportunity? Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure in terms of like when it's too much. Right. Sure. I mean, I, obviously I don't think it's ever good when you move too much. I've been, I've been what now at four schools in 16 years right. and, yeah. and you know two coaches as a, or two schools as a head coach. So yeah. I haven't really moved much. Right. Um, right. Cause I do, like you said, I, you know, I do, I, I am pretty loyal yeah. and, you know, but a couple things uh, in terms of uh, the first question you know, my mentor always said, don't ever stay for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, cause when I was leaving cathedral, I had a really great linebacker who was going to only be a junior and Jordan Lance. And I said, I don't want to leave him cause I have two yeah. more years with him, but you know, coach Doyle, the, uh, the cathedral head coach, he said, well, there's going to be another Jordan after, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so you, you never want to stay around because of a kid or kids. Sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And yeah, it makes sense. And then, so I always carry that with me. And then number two, I always say, don't, 
just chase titles, right? Yeah, don't yeah. don't 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 just move or don't take a position just because you want to be the DC or the head coach. Make sure the opportunity is good, you know. Make sure you're under a good head coach or make sure you're going to a good program where you have support. Yes. If you're going to be a head coach, don't go into a place where you're going to fail because sure. admin's terrible or, you know, there's just no support or structure or anything. And no matter how hard you work, it's just, you're just going to be in a lose-lose situation. So that's, that's kind of my advice for young coaches. Don't, don't just go somewhere, especially if you're in a good place where you're right. learning and you're growing. Don't just leave just because you want a title of being a head coach or a DC or, or whatever, because I think I rather, you know, I'm, this is I'm going into my 11th year as a head coach. And like I said, my, I was a head coach pretty young. Right. Mm -hmm. I sometimes wish that I could go become an assistant somewhere and I would go be an assistant, maybe under Tom Boehner, you know, at yeah, Boston high sure, school sure. that taught me about the letter, because I, I, I still feel like sometimes I robbed myself of learning more before becoming a head coach, right? I understand. As, I as, yeah. as a head coach, as a head coach, now you can only learn through talking to coaches or just through experience, right? Right. But if you're, and if I was an, if I was under an, uh, a great head coach longer, um, maybe if I would have stayed at Cathedral more than two years, you know, maybe I would be a better head coach. Sure, so, sure. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I don't think there's a perfect way, but I would just, I would say learn as much as you can if you're under a great program, under a great coach, or under a great coordinator, um, and, and don't ever chase titles, if, especially if you know it's not going to be a good situation. That's excellent advice, Masaki. And one thing that you said that interested me is you said, don't go chasing the head coach title at a place you know you will fail. And I'm curious because, you know, on the surface of it, it looks like with a four and 36 record, that Bernstein would be a place where you may fail. So you obviously, you have a very good ability to survey. It helped that you were there so you could see behind the scenes. Yep. But what advice would you give to coaches when they're evaluating, right? Like they're looking at opportunities. How do you tell if it's a place that you're going to fail? You know, when you're on the outside, like what are, what are certain things that you would look for? Because you, you did it right. You saw that, yes, it's four and 36, but I see potential. And so I'm just curious how you did that. What were you looking for? Yeah, I mean- the main thing, and I'm no expert because again, I haven't, you know, I've only been at two schools, but um, in terms of being a head coach, you right. know, uh, but uh, the principal, principal, it starts with yeah. the principal. Yes, I mean, yes, yes. yeah, the 80s, great, but I mean, everything is run by the principal, you know, and great they advice. make a yep. call. And if you don't have the support of the principal to do what the things you want to do and, and ask for permission for things, um, you again you could be bill belichick right <laughs> right but right. you can't get things done and you know um i had a principal that um i have a principal here at lincoln that supports what we do and and says yes to pretty much everything you know that i ask for and um yeah i, I so it's important when you are getting interviewed that you also ask questions to them the things that you would want to see Great advice. Everyone listening, just please focus on what he just said. That was excellent advice as far as what to ask the principal in these interviews. Great stuff there. So now, I mean, when you count your four years in Chicago and then all these years coaching uh, in SoCal, it's actually been a while since you were up in the Pacific Northwest, but you decide to make the move 
to head back to Tacoma, uh, where, where you're at now, Lincoln High School. So what was what led to that move after you obviously you were so well renowned at, at Bernstein and you love those kids so much? Like what 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 led to the move back home? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so 2000 around 2014, you know, after a year two um, of being a head coach at Bernstein, I started missing home. I sure. started sure. realizing my mom would come, you know, visit uh, one one or two times a year. Right. And I said, how long can she do this though, right? Because she's mm-hmm. getting older and eventually, like I like we talked about earlier, it's just her and I here in America. Right. And so right. I knew eventually I'm going to have to take care of her. And so I started kind of looking around this, the, the Pacific Northwest area for a good program to come to, right? Because I wasn't just going to leave for just a, a bad program or just to move because we had built something great at Bernstein and we were having success. And um, after the 2015 season, you know, um, it, it not, nothing was really catching my eye. But then Coach Shapiro, um, he emailed me an article about John Kitna how he was leaving Lincoln and how he had kind of turned around this program, but he was taking a big time job at Waxahachie and, and um, you know, coach Shapiro was like, Hey, you know, I know you're looking to move up here. This would be a great program to take over. He has, he has put a lot of money into the program. He has revitalized the program and uh, it's still inner city, kind of like what you're used to at Bernstein. And so I, kind of did some research on the school and um and then that night actually I emailed the principal with my resume and then uh we did a Skype interview two two weeks later and yeah. then got the job and then I moved up around uh April of 2015. And and was this I know you're from the area originally so when you were a, a student at Kings did you did you know of Lincoln are you close enough that you kind of heard of it before or, th- or was this like a whole new place to you? No. So, you know, Tacoma is about 40 minutes south of where I grew up. Um, And so I didn't know a ton of things about Tacoma, but, um, you know, I I had heard about Lincoln and, you know, uh, early 2000, they had a really good basketball program, um, won a couple of titles. And then when John Kitna took over in 2012, I had heard some, you know, news about, you know, them kind of making some noise, you know, how how he was uh, turning around the program. But to be honest with you, no, I, I didn't know too much about Lincoln. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you, I, I was doing just some Googling about Lincoln High School, just researching a little bit about you. And I, I don't I don't know if the picture I'm looking at is accurate, but the stadium looks really cool. I yeah. mean, it, it, you remember that movie in the 90s, 10 Things I Hate About You? Yeah, that's our that's 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 down the street, actually, from us. OK, because it, it reminds me of that stadium. So are you saying every, all the stadiums in that area are kind of like built? No, like that? Just just us two. Just uh, those two. Uh, OK, yeah, just us two. But the, the, the I, I from what I heard, the architect of Stadium High School in Lincoln are the same. Very yeah, it same, cool. It, it was the same architect that designed the school. And uh, yeah, it's called Lincoln Bowl, our stadium. Lincoln Bowl. That's one of it. the first uh, things that our, the principal mentioned. He said, hey, our, you know, it's pretty famous. Have you heard of it? And I hadn't. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool stadium. Yeah. If, listeners, please just Google it. Uh, Link, Lincoln Bowl or Lincoln Abe's, you know, it's popping up for me and it's really cool. It's, it's sunken down into a bowl. But the cool thing is the, the schoolhouse in the background. Just yeah. stunning, stunning architecture. Uh, so yeah. So that I thought that was. Uh, something pretty cool. But as far as, you know, now that you're there, um, oh, one last question on that. Are you close to the water or is the ocean right near you or, or not, not so much? Uh, it's probably like five minutes away. Five minutes away. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. 
So now, now that you've returned back home, you're able to be closer to family, you know, with your mom. Let's talk about your team now. I mean, how, how has it gone? I mean, it's, it, you're following in big footsteps of, of a well-known person, had a lot of success. So that sure. can be difficult. Um, you're obviously, you're media savvy and you're well-liked by the media, you know, the ESPN and the LA Times article. So you, you're just a likable person. So I think, you know, you, you have the advantage there, but has it been tough to follow in such a big name? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I've had two experiences. Yeah. Uh, I've, t- I took over a really bad program and sure. I took over a good program. Right. Um, right. And it was definitely harder to take over a good program. Right. That first year yeah. was very tough for me to coach. Um, you know, I mean, and I, I, I don't blame anyone, you know, like he coach Kenna did a great job. And so, you know, um, it's very natural for people to question something if I did something different than he did, you know, right, or, right. and, um, yeah, so I got a lot of pushback, um, you know, some, some from parents, um, some from obviously players, seniors, you know, um, yeah. I didn't get the buy-in that I was looking for, which partly is my fault too, because I felt like I should have done a better job looking back now, you know, of trying to get the seniors to follow me better, right, and yeah. build better relationships with them and, and go out of my way a little more to, like, get them on the same page, right, and I sure, didn't do sure. that, and, um but yeah, but I think it was probably after year three where I felt like, okay, this is my team, right? right? And, yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, that that Coach Kitna effect is gone, you know? Sure. And then now going into year eight, it's, it's wow. definitely our program now. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, kids have bought in. And, you know, last couple of years have been tough because of COVID. And it, 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 I think it hit city schools harder because, yeah. you know, lack of, direction and guidance at home sure. and, uh, but uh you know we're kind of starting to get back to normal again and, and and getting back our culture in terms of how we do things in our program and yeah i feel like we're at a really good place we just had a great workout in the morning and you know kids 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 are working hard you know masaki a couple of things you said there that were interesting to me um you i'm sure you know kevin swift you know k dog swift on twitter uh, from gold beach oregon yeah, when he, yeah. he came on the show and I, one thing that I loved is, yes, he's a two-time coach of the year, two-time state champion. But he also said to me, Kobo, I've been 0-9 three times. You know, and he said, like, those years that I went 0-9 were actually some of my best coaching jobs. And I, I've been in that situation, too, uh, Masaki. You know, my first year of coaching as an assistant, we were 13-1. and It was an awesome year. Derek Carr uh, was actually our quarterback. The, the Raiders oh, quarterback yes. was our quarterback. My last year as a head coach, 0-10. So for the first time, I got to experience an 0-10 season. My head coaching record was 2-18, and you know? So we, it was not the most – it wasn't the winningest experience for me as a head coach. The thing that was so interesting that you said, though, was it's, it was much easier taking over a bad team than a good team. Yes. Maybe not everybody would, would think that or understand that. I know whenever we're, all, we're losing, some of us may feel like, oh, I wish I could just be at this good school. Good schools are difficult, too, you know? And, and you were able to experience that. So here's the question that all of us coaches deal with. You said you wish you could have handled the seniors better. Yep. You know, and I, I know you did a great job. It's th- that is just incredibly difficult every single time. Anytime there's change, it's going to be difficult to handle the seniors. Yep. So now that you've you have so much experience for all of our young coaches listening, what would you have done differently? Now that yeah. you've had time to reflect on it, like what do you think you could have done differently to get those seniors to buy in? Yeah. So I mean, nothing mind-blowing, but number one, first and foremost, is you, un- you got to understand that they are hurt. Yeah. 
right? Good point. It's not, it's not, it's not been personal towards you. I, I always say, I think Bill Belichick could have came in and they still would have been, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. defiant or, you know, uh, questioning things. Sure, sure. Because they were hurt, you know, Coach yeah. Kidd came in when they were freshmen. Yeah. And then he's leaving as they're becoming seniors and this is supposed to be their year, you know? Yeah. And, and he left and, and, and then that happens all the time. Right. And but uh, they were hurt. And so I needed to, instead of like these dang seniors, like I needed to like have more compassion and empathy for that. Right. And now that I'm wiser and older, I look back and say, that's, that's number one. Right. Cause then your attitude and perspective changes, you know, uh, if you can, if you can uh, see it through their eyes. Number two, I would have just, again, worked a lot harder in terms of like trying to include them, right? Um, I think I came in kind of like guns blazing. Hey, it's my way. And, you know, we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, we did keep some stuff that they did, you know, but uh, I just kind of came in at, like, hey, because I felt like maybe I needed to because they were successful, you know, sure. but I just, I feel like I could have done a better job of like maybe meeting with the seniors more and say, Hey, what do you guys think? You know, right. hey, what, you know right. I, I'm, I get the 51% because I'm the head coach. Sure, but I still sure. know what you think. Right. And, right. and I, I feel like I could have done that better and given them a little more ownership um, instead of again, just, Hey, sorry, this is this, we're going to do it our way. And um, you know, as, with certain things, you have to be obviously the non-negotiables, but I think maybe there were some things I could have given, you know, maybe more um, ownership and, and ask them, hey, what do you guys think? And Masaki, I think that's awesome advice because we've all we've all been there where you're trying to take over a new program. You feel like, OK, I've got to change the culture, right? We see that all the time on Twitter, changing the culture, changing the culture, changing the culture. I love what you said, though, is because those kids they're human beings. They love their old coach. Just like if you were to leave Lincoln tomorrow, those kids would be devastated. They love coach Matsumoto. So whoever comes in there next, yeah, they're hurt because they lost the coach that they loved. And obviously same with coach Kitna. And so I just, I've never heard somebody really say that what you just said, but it's so true is like, yeah, you you do want to change the culture, make stuff better, but like, you can't like, you know, piss on their old culture either. You know what I mean? Like you, you gotta, you gotta realize like that they love their coach and they were doing some good things. And I just, I think that's great advice. So anything else you want to add? Cause that, that's like the best yeah. I've heard in a long yeah, time. Yeah. No, th- thank you, coach. I, I, yeah. And I think that would help you um, because again, when you get resistance from players, you start taking things personal sure. and you start sure. getting upset at them and you start questioning yourself. But again, if you can have that, you know, um, that perspective of no, they're hurt. Okay, so now I'm gonna now it's not personal, right? So I can maybe work through this with them and also just you not get person, you know, butt hurt, right? Yeah, and so, right, well, right. Like these punks, right? Right. And right. you again, you have a better perspective of figuring out solutions instead of okay, well, they don't want to do this. Well, I'm gonna show them, right? Like yeah. we're all human when we have egos. And so I think you can suppress your ego a lot more when you understand no, it's because they're hurt not because they don't like you. Absolutely. Now, at the beginning of the show, we both talked about how some of our experiences growing up, like we gravitated towards coaches because we had some things going on in our homes, you know, that were tough for, for youngsters growing up. And so we gravitated towards the coaches. They, we, we were magnetized to those coaches because they loved us. So we just talked about 
well, let me let me back up one second. I started this podcast because of my experience, because I love coaches so much. Like I want to give this biggest platform that I can to talk about how great coaches are in our society. The thing that now that I coach for 11 years and now I'm not coaching anymore, I, I work a day job, but then I do broadcasting and podcasting, like highlighting coaches. Okay. We talked about player resistance. The thing that really gets me, Masaki, is now that I'm doing broadcasting and I'm up in the press box or in the stands, I, I hear parent stuff in the stands that I don't like all the time. And it makes me, it makes me upset because I know how great these coaches are. And so when I hear a parent talking about how dumb the coach is, or, you know, telling a kid every time he gets the ball in basketball, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Like not even thinking about the team, you know, it, it makes me cringe to be honest with you, Masaki. So sure. my question to you is I, I understand parents do that because they love their kids. So it's coming from a place of love, but my theory is that hurts the kid. That kind of behavior, that negativity, it just it doesn't give them the best chance to have a, a great athletic career. So I would like your advice. You've been doing this a long time as a coach. What advice would you give to a parent listening to this podcast to allow their kid to have the best possible experience that they can? Yeah, man, that's uh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, you know, um, I would say try to you know, stay away from gossip, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, well, yeah. your coach is stupid and, you know, your coach shouldn't have done that. And, you know, I, I would say to to always think that, hey, the coach is doing their best, right? And right. and 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 for the most part, you know, they're doing what's best for the kids and, and uh, to really try to understand that, you know? And maybe if you're going to complain about, uh, you know, during a game, like maybe go watch a couple practices, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and see the whole picture, you know, because again, it's hard to tell what everything that's going on just when you go to the game, you know, that's right. But yeah. if, maybe if you go watch some couple practices, you'll see, oh, okay. Yeah. My son isn't doing that very well, you know? So maybe I understand now why he's not playing so much or, you know, and then I would also say, um, you know, set up meetings, you know, I always say to the play, uh, I, I tell the parents um, I'll never meet with you without the player present because I don't want, he said, she said, right. And then I will never like talk to you after a game because things are heated. Great. Great rules. My end or their end. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. always, you know, 24 hours and then you can email me and we can set up an appointment. And so, you know, most coaches, again, I think are willing to talk to you uh, uh, just, but make sure you go in a, a, a manner that's, reasonable you know and and set up an appointment and ask questions and 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 and, and if a coach doesn't want to do that then that's on them right yeah. and, but uh you know yelling at them after the game as they're walking into the locker room that's not going to do anything so yeah. those are a couple of advice I, I would have for the parents but, i love know, i love that one yeah i love i mean obviously the, the after the game i've heard that a lot I, I haven't heard all the time about the player has to be present to me oh yeah yeah i love you, that you, yeah you because then you can a lot of times if the kid is there they'll be honest and say like right. why do you think you're not playing he's like Oh, well, because I can't tackle very well right now, you know, and then the parents are like, oh, OK, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. but when the kids when but when the kids not in front of you, they'll just say crazy things. Oh, coach, you know, coach right. picks on me right. and, da, 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 da. and he just he has it against he had he has it out against me. Mm -hmm. But when you sit them in front of your you and they'll be honest, usually because, you know, we can call out their BS. Yeah, no, I love it. I, and, and one time I was at a co coaching clinic. I forget who the coach was, but he kind of jokingly said, or maybe he was serious. He said, I tell parents if they want to meet with me, they also need to bring the, the parents of the, of the person they want to replace. You know, so if you're going to ask oh, wow. for more playing time, 
You tell me which kid should should get less playing time, and then I want their parents in the meeting too. I see. I, see. I never had a parent meeting after that. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know cool. if he was just kidding or what, but that that was kind of a funny uh, yeah. spin on that one. You know, um, when I first got to Lincoln, though, I did have a couple issues with parents. Uh, now I don't um, yeah. because I think I also told you know I did a podcast with Coach Coach Four and. He asked me about parent issues and I said, we just don't really have any because the reason why I think we don't is because now, because the parents know that we really do care about them more right. than football players, you yeah. know, and, and, and I think they appreciate that. Right. And so because of that, um, you know, if it was, if we, if, if it was just about football and we like, it was all only about football and we only cared about football and we only cared about what they could do for us then I think there will be more complaints, but I think they have the message now that, Hey, we really care about them as kids. And we, we help them year round, you know, with grades and discipline issues and all that. And I think parents realize that now. And so that's why I think we get less complaints. But when I did first have it at Lincoln, a couple of issues with parents, I asked coach Doyle, the coach at cathedral for advice. And, and he told me something that, you know, that has, always stuck with me and now I'm able to kind of empathize empathize with the parents but he said Masaki like I know they may seem unreasonable or they may sound crazy but just understand that their kid is the most important thing to them in the world and so just when just when I heard that I was like oh okay like you know I can now at least I may not agree with them but I can talk to them and have a discussion with them and hear them out. Right. And so that's always stuck with me and that's helped me a lot. Well, coach, you've given a master's class in, in coaching and taken over a new program and just the empathy was a word I heard come up. So in all your interactions, you know, you lead with empathy. So I think that's great. And so we're kind of getting to the end of the coaching portion of the show. And now just for a little bit of fun, just get to know you. I always ask people who their favorite teams are. And first you <laughs> listen Seahawks. So I, I yeah. The thing about me, uh, Masaki, I collect jerseys. That's my one hobby. Okay. I've been doing it for 15 years. I have 430 yeah. jerseys. Like Cortez I Kennedy. drive my wife crazy. But I've got the old throwback Cortez Kennedy yeah. Seahawks jersey in your honor. Yeah. So I always wear whatever your favorite team is. I always wear that <laughs> guest's uh, jersey. That's and cool. uh, you, you all said uh, UW Huskies yep. and uh, the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm any, a hometown fan. You, you, you are a, a true and uh, through and through a yeah. Seattle a sports fan there. Are, I, are you I, sad? I mean, were you, were, were you a Sonics fan? Are you a basketball guy or? Well, I probably would be now. Um, but I, I am a, I was a, a fanatic, um, Michael Jordan fan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I just, I, yeah, I, I love the bulls growing up and, uh, I, I still, you know, have, Jordans and you know um yeah he was he was he was my favorite player of all time but uh yeah, yeah it it would be cool to get the Sonics back though which it sounds like it will happen soon yes. but um yeah once once we get a team I think they'll probably be my favorite team and are, are you into the Kraken have you gotten into the hockey or is it not really not no. really that's fair yeah <laughs> but you know what to be honest with you coach like I've just kind of my interest in like professional sports period has like kind of dwindled sure yeah i don't know maybe maybe i don't know maybe i'm just i just maybe too much football for me so i just need a break or i don't i don't know what it is but you know before i would watch every nfl game but last couple of years i you know i would miss them and i would just rather watch a movie instead or i understand you know? yeah i can i, I can completely the- relate 
When, yeah, when I was still in coaching, I was the same way. I didn't really, I followed my high school team. I was, I had, that, <laughs> exactly. that was, took all my attention. I didn't really exactly. follow yeah, too much. That's what it is. But okay. So we're, we're going to get the last portion of the show. It's, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. This is what we call the start bench cut portion. It is brought to us by our good friends at MVP marketing group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools. You can call my good friend, the CEO, Mike Voglar. Basically what he does is if, if you want to put together a marketing plan to attract sponsors, to make more money for your program, he can help you with that. So if you're interested in that, his contact is in the show notes. Give him a call. He'll describe what he does. If, if you like what you hear, he'll give you a team player podcast discount if you move forward. So tell him Coach Kobo sent you. All right, here we go. So I'm, I know you, you, you may not be following now, but I, I'm talking about some of the older players. So I'm sure you probably remember some of these names. But We're going to do a start bench cut. So I'm okay. going to give you three names, and I want you to start one, bench one, cut one. So we're kind yeah. of asking you to rank them here. I'm doing a, a Hawks 12th man edition here. I got uh, Cortez Kennedy, who I'm wearing the jersey. Steve Largent, you know, all, all-time great receiver, you know, for the Seahawks. Walter Jones, who I know you're a fan of. I saw you posted on Twitter. You said he was the, maybe the best tackle of all time. For sure. And then I put in there, if you want to sub anybody, maybe you want to sub Russ Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Marshawn Lynch. I mean, feel free to sub somebody. But I, my initial question for you is Cortez Kennedy, Steve Largent, Walt, Walter Jones, start bench cut. So I would say Walter Jones is a no. starter. Okay. I mean, he was just amazing. And yes, he was. that's, I mean, that's, you know, and that's when, I mean, they were really good, you know, with Sean Alexander and, uh, you know, made that Super Bowl run. And then um, I would say Steve Largent. I mean, he, I mean, he is the GOAT for, for the Seahawks in terms of being a receiver. Yeah. And then Cortez Kennedy, but I, I still loved watching Cortez. Yeah. You got to cut Cortez Kennedy. Was, that's hard to do, but Hey, I always make it hard. I give you three greats. And so it's always difficult to do this. So let's end with an M's edition, a Mariners edition here. I, I'm imagining like myself, you're probably a big Ichiro Suzuki fan. I mean, I'm a huge, uh, my favorite fan. player. At, same, me too. I totally, I totally understand uh, the big unit, Randy Johnson. Yeah. And of course, Ken Griffey Jr. with that famous wagging the bat and the bat flip and all that swag that he had. So start bench cut. I, I know they play different positions, but just, you know, humor me here. Uh, so, start bench cut, Ichiro, uh, Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr. So Ichiro would be starting. Yes, I agree. I'm going to sub. Um, I'm going to substitute in Felix Hernandez. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he would be the sub. Okay. And then... Yeah, just uh, I guess cut uh, Ken, Ken Griffey. I mean, I love Griffey, but he just wasn't long, you know, with us sure. long enough. And uh, this wasn't on the notes, but since you brought up Jordan, I just want to ask you I want to do one last start bench cut, a GOAT yep. edition Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, because I know you're a SoCal guy too. So Michael, I want to hear a start bench cut, Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Michael by far. Okay. <laughs> and then Kobe and then LeBron. Okay, Kobe, then LeBron. Love yeah, it. So, LeBron. Hey, yep. please, please take a moment if you've enjoyed this episode like I did. Give us that five-star review and just tell a friend. You know, I'm just one guy. I don't have a marketing team. It was just me here in my office. So just sp spread the word. It's been growing. It's been really good. We're getting really good feedback. So please spread the word if you like the podcast. Hit that follow button. That way you'll get a new episode every single Sunday at 2 p.m. If you love it, reach out to me on Twitter or you can email me, teamplayerpodcast@gmail.com. Give a suggestion for a guest. Maybe you know someone that's impacted your life. We'll, I'll reach out to them, bring them on the show. The cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players that I love so much. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. 
Coach Matsumoto, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. So thank you so much to all the team players out there for support, and we'll catch you all down the road. And I always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy, 